Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Pruce. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Lee, and uh, great weather out there, huh? Nothing yeah. like a little coldness to kind of warm the heart? Uh, well, I don't know about warm, but <laughs> bottom line is uh, it could be worse, and I'm happy about that because uh, I don't want it to be worse. Uh, I'll deal with things as, <laughs> as they cold are, as it. Uh, which means uh, less ice on the road and hopefully not quite so freezing cold that all of the animals out in nature freeze their little tails off and and. <laughs> up needing the help of our guest today, which is Cheryl Connell-Marsh, who is a wildlife rehabilitator. <laughs> so the whole thing goes full circle. Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, we set up enough uh, man-induced uh, contraptions out there that put wildlife in danger. So it's nice to have somebody out there that actually is looking at it from a different perspective. You well, know? well, and it's funny you say that because the truth is there are things that need to be done in this natural world in order to make things go more smoothly. I think of some of the controlled burns that go on in forest areas in order to prevent even larger forest fires when they take place or to plant new trees where dead old trees may have been, although sometimes those dead old trees make for great homes Mm -hmm. for the animals during the cold winter. But bottom line is, There's conversations that need to take place in some areas because no one's denying that these things need to be done, but they need to be done in a controlled, coordinated, communicated way so that we don't have forces working against one another that could be natural allies. And the example I can give you is what's going on in East Lansing with the culling of the deer herd and where our guest, Cheryl Connell-Marsh, is asking the question, why am I saving all of these animals and then releasing them and you're going to go out and shoot them? Why would I want that to take place? It's no wonder she's upset about the whole thing. Well, it'd be nice to have her on the show. Um, She deserves uh, uh, top billing and an opportunity to share. She puts just a tremendous amount of energy and love and, and effort. And I'd like to I'd like the listening public to kind of appreciate or understand, you know, how rare it is to get someone like that in our community that can kind of, you know, stitch some fabric so that we're a bit better as a, as, as a community. And I think that if we look at uh, the fabric of our community, you know, this is one gold thread that goes through it. And not every community has that gold thread of opportunity. And so it's going to be nice to listen to her talk about, um, maybe nice is not the right word, but it's going to be important for us to listen to her perspective on what it takes to, you know, bring a deer to um, a point where it can be independent and uh, what her concerns are as far as, you know, how close are they at uh, to her place that at, at calling these deer 
Is it nearby? Is it five miles away? You would certainly think that if she's being permitted to um, rehabilitate these, if she's really providing that community service, mm -hmm. they should at least have a substantial distance away from um, the her property. And where yeah, she, that, and where, where, where they're shooting. Them. So I'll be curious to yeah. listen to her and find out, you know, is this nearby? Is she just against the idea of ever shooting a deer? And if if uh, and, and what might be some solutions to that problem? Well, and Rick, one of my issues, and I, I believe that Cheryl will express similar, is that people who are going to make the decision to eliminate these deer need to at least do their homework as to how many of them are there and is this truly necessary and then when you do it like they did last year what was the impact of it before they're ready to go out and do it again and double it I yeah. mean, I just think that there's an amount of research. They can say, oh, it can't be done, but it can be done because it's being done in other places. And, and if they do have that information, if they do have an opportunity for that information to be shared, they should never be stopping at, at well, we've – We've we've spoken to the public once. That's enough, you know. Right. Or we've, we've well, and we've, that's what they said to us because we gave them the chance to be on this show. But they said they've already done enough media, so it's unfortunate we can't bring you their perspective. Though we will bring you some of the information they did report, but we will get a lot of information from Cheryl Connell Marsh, and that's what we've got going this morning right here on the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. On 1320 WILS. Two legs, good. Four legs, better. Any more or less than that? It's a party. It's the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. I am the little red rooster. We're back here with the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Rick, we have with us on the line a returning guest. It's Cheryl Connell Marsh, and she is with Nottingham Nature Nook in East Lansing. And Cheryl is a wildlife naturalist. Welcome back to the show, Cheryl. Thank you so much, Lee. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. Cheryl, for any of our listeners who haven't heard you when you've been on with us in the past, can you explain to them exactly what it is that you do and what Nottingham Nature Nook is, and just give the, the folks a little understanding of the really crucial role that you play that they may not be aware of. I am a licensed wildlife rehabilitator in East Lansing. I serve the entire Clinton County, and I also serve Ingham County and Shiawassee County. What we do is we take in baby um, mammals and birds as well as injured animals and birds. We um, care for them, we rehabilitate them, and then our goal is to release them back out into the wild where they came from. We are a total 501c3 nonprofit, so we do not get any funding from the state of Michigan. It's simply our donors that support us. So we also try to work on educating the public so that they can learn how to treat the wildlife around them. And so hopefully they develop a better respect for nature and the wildlife around them. I just got a quick question. Um, when you release, uh, you say, back to the wild, do you do much thought into the, you know, if it's pulled from Ingham County, do you put it back in Ingham County? Or, do, you know, does it 
does it have much relevance of that, or is it just trying to find the right natural environment for which they go back into? There are some species that you have to release them back into the county, such as raccoons. We don't do raccoons, so that's a real easy fix there. Uh-huh. Most of the most of the birds and the small mammals that we have, we release here on my property. I, it's a it's a virtual paradise down here that were surrounded um, by marshes, by open land, by woods, and by releasing them here on our property and the surrounding properties around us, I'm able to watch them to make sure that everybody is doing all right. And then in the case of the deer, we are required by the DNR to release them where they have been raised. So they have to be released here. Well, the deer are going to go far beyond your, your, your property line, I would assume, once they're old enough, but squirrels, I mean, is there a certain number of squirrels you're going to release into the wild? And as a result of that, they, they need to figure out how to get 5, 10, 15, 20 miles away, or, or how does that work? Squirrels generally are not going to go that far away, and, and we're very fortunate in that, like I said, the, the land that surrounds me is very open and natural for them. There's a lot of nut trees in the area, fruit trees in in the area. Mm-hmm. And so, especially for squirrels, we feel real comfortable releasing them here. We've put out on my property alone 45 nest boxes for squirrels so that they can get into not only to have young, but also in the winter, it's a very important place for them to get in out of the cold. So we provide everything here for the squirrels if if they have too much competition with other squirrels, then they tend to move around the area around us. And, and we do have the tower garden community. And so a lot of times when I'm driving down the street, I'll see a squirrel and I'll think to myself, I wonder if that was one of mine as I'm driving <laughs> down the road. <laughs> so I imagine there is a lot of uh, feeling of, I don't want to say possessiveness, but, but you've invested time, effort, money, and, and love to bringing these animals back from whatever condition you find them in. How difficult is that for you to let go when they do? Because where we feel that affinity toward our pets, I've got to imagine you've got a little bit of that toward these animals. Oh, certainly, Lee. It, it's, it's difficult, especially some of them will have a special place in your heart. You know, you'll it'll be one that they really struggled when they when they got here to, to recover and, and you spend a lot of time and energy in them. But especially in the case of, say, squirrels or birds or rabbits, when you release them and you watch that squirrel run up to the top of a tree and just sit there on a branch looking around like, wow, this is the coolest thing I have ever seen, it's totally worth it because you know that that animal is exactly where they belong. And so... That's one of the important things about a rehabilitator. You have to put the needs of the animal before your own. But I also think that sometimes rehabilitators do so much for so long that they lose that love for the animals. And, and when you lose the love for them, it's, it's time to stop doing it. So, Cheryl, I know you well enough. You haven't lost that yet, have you? No. <laughs> not, not even close, right? <laughs> now, um, we're, uh, Lee and I were talking uh, throughout the week, and uh, we'll, we want to move on to a, an overpopulation topic, but let's first mention, in the case of the animals that you rehabilitate, uh, overpopulation 
for like the immediate area isn't an issue? Is that fair enough to say? Is it self-regulating? Right, not in my opinion. And also one of the other things is the cycle of life does go on here, Rick. So Uh uh I also race and release foxes. And we have not released foxes in my area in the last three years because I felt like we were at the curing capacity for foxes. But um, the foxes, when the when the squirrel population or the rabbit population gets really high, the foxes kind of take care of that. So. Gotcha, gotcha. So, <laughs> more supporting of the food web, more so than the than the uh, than any any other element, keeping it healthy. You know, having right checks right. and balance, if you will, an ecosystem like like in everything else. Well, I'm just curious. Um, talking about an ecosystem, checks and balance. Um, what keeps coming up in the news media, um, we attempted to maybe get somebody here from East Lansing uh, to talk on their behalf, uh, but uh, these controlled shootings of, or however they want to refer to them as... The culling of the herd. The culling of the herd for deer and deer populations um, tends to be a problem that for at least the last decade or so has become you know, quite a, a substantial media slash reality of, of of everyday life here in the greater Lansing area. And I'm just curious uh, uh, your take on, on, on that whole concept of is there a reason or a rationale for overpopulation control of deer herds within the city limits? Are we setting up an environment that's not very conducive for everyday life for a deer? And is, it, is, is the controlled um, killing of them unacceptable practice. And I just want to get your perspective. We did try to reach out to uh, the East Lansing City to try to get their perspective. Uh, Probably there's others that might come in and talk to us about it. But right now for this show, we're going to get your perspective of which we have had once before. (laughs) So basically the way that that I look at this issue is is obviously it's very personal to me. Um, I raise fawns in this area. And so I would say that I love fawns probably more than any wildlife that I raise. So there's a very deep bond with these animals. But in what they call the culling, which is a, is a nice way to kind of cover up mass shootings, um, I have a lot of, of serious issues with it, separate from the emotional issues. So okay. for the cost for citizens in the city... I investigated it. It's going to cost them this year $19,000 to hire these USDA sharpshooters. In addition to that, for all the parks, they have to pay the park employees overtime because they're working before their normal hours and after their normal hours putting up barricades, etc. As far as a legal perspective, the DNR would not allow normal hunters in this state to do what they're allowing these sharpshooters to do. They're shooting these animals at night. They're chasing them with four-wheel drive vehicles. In our park in particular, they're chasing them with the vehicles into alleys where they have them blockaded at the end with a barrier of cut-down trees. They also, in, according to some people that I've talked to, and I have not heard it, but some people have heard helicopters going overhead. The last thing that's the hardest for me is that the park that they're shooting them at is 120 feet from my back corner of my property where I release fawns and where I also keep a herd of horses. So if you look at all of that, 
it, it, it doesn't make sense. And then if you look at the scientific part of it, there are articles written that talk about the fact that culling does not work because the remaining does then end up responding to that, having more fawns the next year, and then younger does tend to have their fawns earlier than they would normally because you've taken out some of this. It also, in our area, they can't give me a total number of deer that are in East Lansing, and so there's no way you can effectively look at what is the carrying capacity of this area that the deer can handle. They're also not looking at the fact of how they are moving these deer from large green areas into tiny little tracts of areas. The amount of development in East Lansing right now is, is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so these deer are moving, they're moving out of huge open areas and into smaller and smaller tracts. So my one thought to them was why not develop green corridors or green spaces like they have in Europe and in places in the country. And I was actually contacted by a councilman in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, who was trying to get legislation together with Senator Stabenow to develop funding to develop green corridors and green spaces in the United States for deer to help cut down on the number of deer auto accidents. So in my mind, there is no, there is no good reason to be doing these, these deer kills right now. So when, when we uh, reached out, the one thing they said is to look at our uh, statement on it, and uh, Lee copied it out. And I would say the two things that they specifically focused on were the car accidents and then the control of diseases for Lyme disease and chronic wasting disease. Do you want to comment on that? So um, for, for the Lyme disease, it's my understanding that that we need to worry more about the ticks, not necessarily the deer in that. I had, when I looked, tried to look up research for it in the numbers of deer carrying Lyme disease, it, it, I couldn't find any good studies that uh-huh. would justify that or back that up. Mm-hmm. As far as chronic wasting disease goes, there are no deer in East Lansing that have ever tested positive for chronic wasting disease. It's also my understanding that not since 2018 did we have any deer test positive for chronic wasting disease in Ingham County. And the number of chronic wasting disease cases every year that they're sampling deer are going down. Some of what you're saying, it sounds like there isn't information enough out there to rationalize or justify the actions, right? Is there any scenario for which numbers presented to you would change your mind in any way or um, alter your perspective? I doubt it. Okay. Um, I, I feel like they're using the chronic wasting disease and the Lyme disease to scare people. Okay. And we, we all know um, fear is a very good tactic to use um, to curb people to your way of thinking. And in my opinion, they're using the fear factor here. They're not, they're not using common sense. And it, it, goes, it goes beyond that. I, you know, I could speak for hours on the ethical and the moral issues of this. I've repeatedly gone to the council and said, what are we teaching our children that if something is an inconvenience or is bothering you, the way that you handle it is to kill it. Okay. It, it just it goes so beyond all the other reasons for not doing it in terms of aren't haven't we developed far enough in this society that we can embrace 
other creatures instead of trying to wipe them out. Um, I guess some of these people need to come and, and watch the, the look on children's faces when they're surrounded in, in the outdoors out here, when they see wildlife suddenly appear. That's what we want to teach our children, how they coexist with them, not how they eliminate them. Well, it's not just our children, because yesterday I ate lunch with about three deer and watched (laughs) watched them as I was sitting over in in Fenner Nature Center. And I've got to tell you, it made for a great lunch just because they really are very neat to watch. Uh, Cheryl, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back from the break, I'd like to ask you about something you just raised, specifically the numbers, because I've done a little bit of research on some of the other areas and amazingly they've got some specific numbers so we'll talk about that our guest today is Cheryl Connell Marsh from Nottingham Nature Nook and we'll be back right after the break on 1320 WILS. It's the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. It's 935 and we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show and we are talking with Cheryl Connell Marsh from Nottingham Nature Nook and she is a wildlife rehabilitator. And Cheryl, before the break, we were talking about the deer situation in East Lansing, and you had expressed a question of numbers. And doing my homework for this particular show, I was looking at what are some of the neighboring areas doing, and I was looking at Kensington Metro Park, which is in Livingston County, And they've got some very specific numbers. They've been doing aerial surveys over the parks. And it says right here that the Metro Park staff is striving to follow Department of Natural Resource recommendations to keep white-tailed deer population at a density threshold of 15 to 20 deer per square mile, which will protect the health of the deer and avoid detrimental impact on the ecosystem. And last year, they found that Kensington had 120 deer in a 4,500-acre park, and so they were going to call approximately 50 deer. Is that what you're suggesting that East Lansing needs to do as well? Because if, if Kensington Metro Park can do it, I have to imagine that a city like East Lansing should be able to do something similar. I, I think they should be able to. Again, Growing up in in Livonia, um, knowing Kensington Metro Park as a child, that's a whole different situation, though, Um, than what you probably are looking at here. That's all big open land. And in East Lansing, they're looking at seven different parks scattered throughout the city. So I'm sure that the management plan of that is going to have to change from something like a huge open space like Kensington. Right. And um, the other thing that you know, the listeners may not realize is that one of the uh, calling stations, if you want to call it that, shooting ranges, if you want to call it from the other perspective, is uh, not far, but almost across uh, near, near within walking distance of, of, of your property. Is that fair enough? Yes. I asked as soon as they decided that they were going to start shooting at the aquatic center in the softball complex. I walked out and measured what it was from the southwest corner of my property to the northeast corner of the park, and it was 120 feet. Wow. Well, and and so, but you are 
licensed to receive, you know, fawns, deer that are in, in a compromised situation or, you know, as a matter of, you know, human trap or their own circumstance, you're licensed to kind of rehabilitate them, correct? Yes, that is correct. And the number of people in the state of Michigan that can rehabilitate fawns, I believe at this point, at least as in 2021, was only eight of us in the entire state that could do fawns. Um, it's a very time-consuming, it's very um, it's very expensive. The enclosures that you have to have them in have to be solid wooden enclosures that like six to eight feet tall. So you're talking a lot of money and time and energy that has to be invested into raising these fawns for approximately five months. So you start getting them in May, and then according to the DNR, we release them by October 1st. And so you've got the Michigan government in one form or another that is licensing and would you consider encouraging your actions? I think that they appreciate not having to deal with the public, uh, the DNR. I'm not sure how much they appreciate us as licensed wildlife rehabilitators, but I think they appreciate that we obviously fulfill a need that's out there. It sure seems awkward that, you know, you're allowed to do this, you know, and you rehabilitate this animal that the general public, that for whom the state of Michigan serves, you know, um, they bring that to you, you know, bring us your huddled mat, your your, your huddled, um, uh, you know, harmed and and injured, and we will recover them. But then you put them out essentially to you know pasture, but a pasture for which you know they don't have much positive consequence. Correct. So okay. this. The DNR gives me my license to rehabilitate fawns, and then they gave the city of East Lansing their license to to shoot the deer this year, knowing that there was a licensed wildlife rehabilitator in East Lansing that was raising fawns, like I said, 120 feet from one of the parks that they decided to start shooting in. So when you have, have gone and spoken to the folks at East Lansing, which I'm sure you've done knowing your personality, uh, I, I'm curious, what do they say? Do they not realize that there is this incongruence between your two missions and that there has to be a better way or a more cost-effective way, I would imagine, to do this? I mean, are they telling you, stop taking care of them, let them die? I would say neither the the mayor nor the majority of the people on the East Lansing Council have given me any feedback at all. I will say that I appreciate Councilwoman Dana Watson. She talked to me after I talked to the council, and she supported non-lethal means for trying to work on controlling the deer population. She met with me in person. I showed her the area. We walked around the area. I explained what was happening. And she and I talked afterwards of possibly forming a committee in East Lansing that will look at are there ways that we can deal with the deer management in East Lansing in a non-lethal manner. So for her, I appreciate everything she's done. She has been very open-minded, very willing to talk to me. Unfortunately, no one else from the council or the mayor has. Interesting. Now, when it comes to this issue, I imagine that there is a lot of people who are 
looking at the costs that are involved with this. And frankly, they're saying that, well, with all of the deer hits that take place with cars and, as Rick brought up, the other health-related issues, this is a positive thing. But the truth is I've got to imagine that there's a lot of costs involved with, as you said, not just bringing these folks in, but uh, also what it does to the staff at the park. And God forbid that there is an injury or something happens if these sharpshooters aren't quite as sharp as they need to be on a particular day. So talk with me about how much positive can be gained from your approach versus this approach. I, I just think that, that we need to, we need to look and, and I agree with Rick. It seems like it's, it's very long term for these green quarters and these green spaces, but I think that it's, it, it's too easy to just jump in and say, let's shoot them and kill them. I think that there, that there are a lot more ideas that we can explore if we bring more people in, if we encourage more people to try to work at a solution for this. And the older I get, the more I realize that really what is important is, is life. Um, it's, it, I can't imagine spending a day without the nature that surrounds me. I can't imagine not having wildlife to enrich my life and to bring me peace. And so I think you have to start to look at those things and say, what are they worth? We're, we're also concerned with, with the monetary value of things, and yet we have more people that are, that are unhappy and going through depression and, and can't seem to find that peace when I just say, walk out the door and there it is. But if, if we eliminate that piece because it's an inconvenience, because it's eating our hostas, or because we're driving too fast and it, it runs into our car, then what have we lost? We've lost way more than any amount of money could ever make up for. And I'd imagine uh, your passion goes a bit deeper than most just because, A, it's right across the street and you spend time, energy, effort, and, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, if you will, rearing these little guys. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it sounded like, Lee, when we were chatting, you know, when you look at it from a herd management perspective, you'd probably get for um, uh, those that are in the business of rehabilitation, would probably get a variety of opinions as to whether that's acceptable or not, but it it, so it's not so much that herd management is necessarily an, a bad thing. It's just that, you know, it needs to be thought out as far as, you know, is it really rational and is it really appropriate and is it really helping the deer herd or is it hurting? You know, is that fair enough? Yes, I would agree completely with that. Yeah. And if it's needed based on the numbers, uh, there needs to be that. Uh, Cheryl, we need to take one more quick break, but when we come back, uh, I'd like to talk with you just about some rehabilitation questions because the truth is, even though we haven't had a ton of snow and it hasn't been below zero yet, it is winter and it is coming. And when it does, there's going to be some animals that are going to need the help of a wildlife rehabilitator. So we'll ask you those questions right here on 1320 WILS. The Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. 
1320 WILS. We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we've been talking this morning all about the culling of the deer herd in East Lansing, as well as uh, other subjects with Cheryl Connell Marsh, who is a wildlife rehabilitator at Nottingham Nature Nook in East Lansing. And Cheryl, one of the things that we talked about during the break that if you could elaborate on, uh, there are ways for people if they do have deer coming up on their property and messing up their plants or things like that, there are steps that can be done to solve that problem without killing the deer. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's correct. And basically what I will tell a lot of people that that come to me and complain about it is I say there are certain plants that deer absolutely love. If you plant arborvitae, it's like crack cocaine to deer. They love arborvitae. They will, they will, I think they'll travel miles to go up and, and eat somebody's arborvitae. That, it's just something you don't want to grow if you have deer in the area. But if you have hostas and other plants like that, that the deer will come in. If you plant natural vegetation on the outer edge of your property and encourage the deer to go into that, they love mulberries. They love wild grapevines. They'll eat those. And there's also some very, very good repellents out there. I know I bought some um, from Van Adda's Greenhouse that you pour along the edge of your flower bed, and I have had good success with that, and I've had friends that live in very heavily um, deer-populated areas that have also had very good success with that. But it's learning to work with them, and any good nursery will give you a list of plants that deer tend to stay away from and, and plants that deer love. Um, I know that from traveling to different nurseries because I'm also a master gardener, so I love my flowers. And, <laughs> and there are, there's so much good information out there. It's just simply work with the deer and plant what they don't love. And there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of species you can choose from. So it's not just a tiny little limited list. Well, let's talk about uh, more information that you have to offer above and beyond the deer. Um, we are dealing with winter. And what yep. thoughts come to mind for the average person that's going to be listening in that they may not think about as just a, you know, uh, a steward of our planet, right? And then mm-hmm. what, what, what messages would you like to hear that might either A, be a preventative measure that prevents the small animals from showing up, or if they do fall, find the small animals showing up, you know, steps that they should take or shouldn't take? A lot of, a lot of, places really encourage feeding the birds. There's there's so much out there that the different kinds of foods that you can put out for the birds. But the number one thing that I say for both birds and all the small mammals that live around your house is water is an essential, especially this year. As Lee pointed out, we haven't had much snow. Um, they are able to eat snow, but at a cost, energy cost to them that's very high. So having a heated bird bath is very important for them. Every day I fill my bird bath up, and it's a big bird bath, and every night it's dry, and I end up filling it again at night for the creatures that come in at night. Also, it's incredibly important for them to have a place to be able to get in away from the cold. And so if you don't have a lot of older trees that have crevices or holes in them that they can kind of get in out of the cold, nest boxes for both small birds, and I get nest boxes for owls, and then my squirrels end up moving into the owl nest boxes because it's a perfect size for them. 
Um, again, food is important, but putting food in, in all different, putting it in, in hanging feeders, putting a little bit of food on the ground for like the rabbits and, and your possums and all your other creatures that come in at night. Now, Cheryl, if people are out hiking or uh, cross-country skiing or doing something like that and they come across an animal, uh, should they get involved with it? Should they pick it up and bring it to you? Should they leave it as it is? Uh, what advice can you give to people? Because when you're out and about, it's it's not uncommon to come across a variety of animals in a variety of conditions. Obviously, to my my way of thinking is if you find an animal that, that is hurt or injured or debilitated, the kindest thing that you can do is, is to contact someone like me and to bring them to me, but in a very safe way. Uh, I don't encourage people just scooping a scroll up in their arms or their hands um, to use common sense to, to get that animal so that they're going to be comfortable and you're going to be safe. So scooping them up in a big towel and then putting them in a carrier or a box that has holes in it so that they can continue to breathe. A lot of times people bring me birds and don't think about how important it is for the bird to have a cloth or a towel in the box they bring them because they need to feel like they're safe and that they can hold on to that and also warmth. Um, once you find an animal that's out there, it's really important that you warm them up. But like any case of hypothermia, you want to be careful that you're not warming them up too quickly. So you don't want to take them outside where it's 2 degrees, put them in your car where it's then 75 degrees, blasting them in front of the heater. They have to warm up slowly so that they can regain consciousness and it's not going to do harm to their internal organs. Um, I'm thinking of Tommy Boy and the and the uh, scene there with the deer waking up and uh, causing a little bit of problems. Let's say, for instance, <laughs> a, little, a, little. <laughs> a little bit of problems. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, what about if you do, how, how do how do you come about the fawns and how would people, how, what, what circumstance? Is that something that the DNR calls you and, and brings them in? Is it something that the average public would find one and bring it to you? Or how, do, how does everything, that happen? Everything, Rick. Um, okay. I get public find them. Fawns, we're very, very careful um, because I've been doing fawns for a long time. No one that works for me here, none of my volunteers will just say, bring the fawn in. I have to talk to the person because more than half the time, it's a fawn that's just fine. People have seen it laying in their yard and they pick it up and think they're going to save it. And mm -hmm. so we will always err on the side of cautious. We would rather leave a fawn there for its mother and sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes the mother doesn't come back within 24 hours, and then, then we have to take care of the fawn. Um, but we receive fawns from the general public because, like I said, I'm a licensed wildlife rehabilitator. We also receive fawns from the state police and from local police and from DNR conservation officers and from vet clinics. Um, I've been doing deer long enough that a lot of people know that I am the deer lady, and so I get calls from just about everyone. Man, uh, re just thinking back on the earlier part of this show, and it's like, okay, how do you give respect to somebody in the community when there's only eight in the state that actually provides that, like, incredible opportunity? And the first thing I would think you'd want to do is, you know, as a city council, sit down and have a meeting one-on-one -on -one and figure out, is there any way moving forward that can make this seem more rational, more 
appropriate, if nothing else, to at least take off the list, the aquatic center in that space. Would, wouldn't that, that make absolutely. sense? I mean, that would yeah, at least absolutely. be tipping the hat to you and say, hey, we have a problem. We have our own public to deal with. We have, you know, our people that, you know, are losing their hostas and we have to do this and have to do that or the cars or the wherever insurance or deers getting hit or people injured. But, hey, you know what? We do respect who you are, what you are about, and to have something a, a, a few hundred feet away from your property just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I just exactly. just can't help but make that particular statement because there is an issue here. It's a big issue. Um, it's and, called and, communication and coordination. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think Lee's been out there watching you like hand, hand feed squirrels. You know, any and all of the animals that you take care of, you know, it's I know this from running a pet store. It's got to be a labor of love because there's not enough financial resources to provide this type of service to the community. It, it really does rely on this kind of nonprofit volunteerism, you know, throw your heart out there and do the best you can. So, you know, I certainly want to tip my hat off to you for all that extra hard energy that you put into that because our community is lost without individuals like this. And I have to imagine if there's only eight in the state, uh, there's a lot of communities that are left frustrated because there's not somebody else out there like you that they can rely on. It, it saddens me the number of calls that I get that are outside my area that I simply cannot take them because they're outside my area. Are you it required by law not to take them? Right. And I'm, right now, um, I'm hoping that it changes. But right now, we can only take deer um, from a 10-mile radius around our center. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, even if the state police or DNR find one, they can't take it to you? They can if it if it's on a highway or a road that is coming into that ten mile radius. Huh. Um, it, it didn't used to be that way. It, they changed that with chronic wasting disease. But I'm hoping I that see. now, in the future, at least for the counties that we are not having reported cases of chronic wasting disease, that they will open that circle for us to allow us to really meet the growing needs. I would say probably over fifty fawns. This year, I had to turn away. Well, Cheryl, I hate to say it, but we are out of time. But we want to thank you so much for coming on, and I, I wish you the best of luck. And I uh, have to say, for all of you looking for a 501c3 to support, this is obviously uh, one that can do a lot of good with it. So we wish you well out at Nottingham Nature Nook, and we look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you so much, Lee. It was wonderful talking to both you and Rick. Oh, our, our pleasure. And, Rick, we're out of time for this week. So on behalf of our producer, Bruce Warner, and Rick Pruce, my co-host in the studio, this is Lee Cohen wishing all of you a great weekend and a great weekend. We'll talk next weekend on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show.